Hey, Ryan, we've spoken about our sponsor, TrueLook, and their construction cameras, and now they have an exciting new feature to share. That's right, Todd. TrueLook's cameras already monitor the progress on your job sites with high-quality video and live viewing, and now they've upped their security game. You know, with AI-powered motion detection and the new strobes and sirens, you can scare off intruders with bright flashing lights and booming sirens. You know, Ryan, job site theft costs businesses millions of dollars every year. And with TrueLook's professional monitoring service, you can rest easy knowing your efforts and your assets are protected. Sounds like it's well worth the investment. Visit TrueLook.com today to get a free quote and start protecting your job site. That's TrueLook.com. Welcome to the Construction Disruption Podcast, where we uncover the future of design, building, and remodeling. I'm Ryan Bell of Isaiah Industries, manufacturer of specialty metal roofing and other building materials. Today, my co-host is Todd Miller. Todd, how you doing? I'm doing pretty well. How are you? I'm great. You know, I did have to say pretty well. I had one sort of sad thing happen. It seems like I always announce sad things on this show. You do. Um, yeah, I do. I, I don't know. I, I never brought it to work. But um, for many years, I have owned a, I've had a pet parrot, um, you know, and, and it flew around our house and it was kind of a free range parrot. But um, I had a lot of years. They live a long time and um, it had gotten rather overweight. Um, so I had a, a fairly obese parrot. I mean, it was almost the size of a hippopotamus, to be honest. I mean, it was, it was an obese parrot. Um, but I'm kind of sad because um, my obese parrot passed away. Um, like I said, I'm I'm very sad, but I must admit it's a huge weight off my shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. I, I just stretch these out too long, don't I? <laughs> Did you make that one up yourself? <laughs> no. <laughs> I may have embellished it a little bit. A little bit. Okay. A little bit. Well, it's good. I, I rate that a, a six. On the oh, scale of, scale of dad that. jokes. Going into the weekend, I'll take that. All right. Well, I am excited about this episode. Before we uh, start, I just want to let our listeners know we are doing our challenge words game. If you're not familiar with that, we all have a word that we've kind of been assigned to work into the conversation. Kind of a word that may stick out a little bit. So keep your ears open. See if anything kind of sticks out and reverberates with you. That just sounds like it may not fit in place. Um. Let's get started. I'm I'm absolutely thrilled for this episode today. Um, normally we book a guest and then do some research on our end to kind of put together some questions and a rough script uh, before we record each episode. And when we initially hopped into the recording studio for this episode, it quickly became apparent to us that there was a massive amount of knowledge and advice that today's guests have to share with our audience. Um, so we decided to kind of take a step back and use our originally scheduled recording time so that we could kind of regroup on our end and make sure we didn't let any of this incredible knowledge slip through the cracks. Um, so I've been just thrilled and, and looking forward to this episode ever since. And today we are joined by John Lenker, Chief Vision Officer and Asaf Ari, CEO of Lenker, which is a strategic growth consulting and marketing services firm based in Minnesota. They help their clients be more effective and efficient in their marketing and have some great stories about how their process for business growth has been proven in the real 
world. John and Asaf, welcome to Construction Disruption. Thank you for having us. Yeah, happy to be here. Great. We are glad to have you. Start things off. Uh, one thing that's always kind of helpful for our audience when listening to the guidance and ideas brought by our guests is to understand that our guests have the real world experience and track record to talk with authority and influence. John, can you kind of start us off by giving us a brief rundown of your background and experience and how you and Asaf became acquainted with one another? Well, I could start in a number of ways with with my history. Um, I think maybe the main thing to say is that um, I have had a career that is based on influencing people to believe in new ideas, uh, to change their attitudes or values, uh, their beliefs, uh, to influence their thinking, uh, their feelings, their behavior. You know, these are all things that come under something called the the effective domain of thinking or of learning. Um, you know, the effect of something is is how it kind of influences the process people have in their minds and the opinions they form. So uh, getting into uh, marketing and communications and uh, I had a, a long stint in the world of e-learning, which is, you know, influencing how people learn and, you know, do their jobs better. Um, it's it's what I've built my career on. Uh, I've worked on projects for some of the biggest companies in the world. And um, I've just, you know, over time developed a real keen interest in helping the everyday average person who wants to start a business and succeed, uh, helping them to kind of form their businesses so that they actually get the most out of the opportunity. And uh, I think that's what, you know, initially attracted Asaf and I. Uh, we, we interestingly first started working together within the construction industry. He was a client of mine uh, and, um, you know, he he's working for a company that does uh, pretty large scale concrete uh, contracting projects. And through that process of, of getting to know each other and helping his business grow, uh, we, we just developed a real uh, friendship and, and a real focus on how can we take these things that we're doing and bring it to other companies and other people. So Asaf, John, you know, when we were having our initial discussion, John mentioned um, that he saw in you that you were born to take ideas and turn them into profitable enterprises and that he knew if uh, you could come into Lanker, the business would grow well beyond its current state. Can you share your background with us a little bit and kind of what has led you to where you are today? Sure. I always feel uncomfortable <laughs> talking about myself, but um, my, my background is, um, it's a little unique. Um, I got, you know, I got some military background and I was a practical engineer in the military. And then um, and then after the military, I went and I studied business and accounting and I practiced accounting for a few years. So what I guess is give me a little bit of advantage is having engineering background and an accounting background at the same time, because typically those are conflicting, right? An engineer will spend the budget and, and then, you know, take you, take you out of business with a great idea. An accountant will shut down ideas uh, to make sure you preserve the cash. So having that balance, I think that it, it, I was lucky to have that opportunity to have both worlds in a fairly close period of time of six, seven years, practice both engineering and accounting. 
um, that that give me a different way of thinking on a business. You know, I'm thinking of business as a machine that have gears, that's an engineering part. And then also the fact that they need to be profitable and you got to be able to afford those gears as they're turning, right? So that's, it's a different way of looking at a business than the average uh, view. So you both, and this is, John, you mentioned this is how you both met was, um, and working kind of in the construction industry is how you two were introduced to each other. And um, we discussed earlier that you both have interests outside of Lanker and your investors and partners and other businesses. Um, you don't need to name them, but can you each kind of take a few minutes to talk about those briefly um, and kind of how your experience with them has shaped what you do at Lanker? Sure. Um, uh, over the years, you know, I, I, I joined a, a construction company, a concrete foundation and decorative concrete company that wasn't overly successful. Um, we reshaped it, turned it around. That's where John and I met. And I've, I've exited out of that opportunity in 2019. Um, early on, you know, early you know, 2012, I also uh, partnered into a property management company that still going, still partnering this company and still doing pretty well and uh, growing year over year uh, from that ventured into ownership of real estate too, um, you know, a few hundred units across the metro here in Minneapolis and also uh, um, partnered into a uh, roofing and exterior remodeling company. And in between also helped some other entities without ownership um, kind of form and take legs and kind of join the world. And for me, I started a uh, millwork business a few years ago. So uh, custom cabinetry uh, and other kinds of elements, architectural elements made out of wood and metal. Uh, and a lot of custom furniture also out of this, this particular business. And it's been um, sort of my attempt to get, get outside of my head you know, in the, in the world of marketing and consulting it, you know, there's a lot of thinking and planning and giving advice. And I, I wanted to leverage some of what we've been doing here, uh, to, you know, have, have my try at, at something in the real world. So I, I don't work in the business, but I, I started it and hired a general manager and it's its third year and it's, it's growing, it's doing pretty well. When you started it, were you doing the mill work? No, I, I started it with, with just a uh, long history of designing custom furniture and having the those pieces made by other people, okay. and uh, and so you know we started we started from scratch and and kind of the strategy was um, you know we don't have any customer base um, we're going to do overflow work for established businesses and and kind of generate cash flow and then after some time you know branch out and start forming our own relationships with builders, remodelers, architects, interior designers. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's grown, you know, pretty rapidly. So I'm curious, I mean, you guys have worked with a lot of different businesses and, you know, some were your own and some were clients and, and so forth. And, you know, some of these have spilled into the construction or built space. Um, what are some of the challenges that you saw um, businesses facing that, you know, once you were able to get them over that challenge, you were able to propel them into new areas of, of growth. And, and how did you accomplish that or help them accomplish that? Well, you know, there's, there's a very familiar pattern that, that happens with a lot of people who, you know, get into 
uh, being an entrepreneur, starting your own business in the world of construction. Uh, and, you know, they, they're in, you know, an existing position. They're doing well. They start to build confidence in their own abilities. And, you know, maybe they develop a kind of, you know, wanderlust and they want to, they want to go off onto their own and, and start something they believe they can run. And, you know, they, they do a good job. They, they get out there. Uh, they maybe leverage some existing relationships and they start to do work and they, they're successful. They get referrals and, you know, they're, they're kind of doing it by the seat of their pants. They're doing it based on their, um, their craftsmanship and their knowledge of a, of a given, uh, discipline, you know, whether it's concrete or roofing or remodeling or, you know, new construction. Um, but very quickly as things start to grow, they start running into a major problem, which is, you know, what was working well at the beginning when everything is kind of being organized in their own heads, they can handle that on, you know, a few projects or a few clients at a time. But as it starts to grow and not everything can be contained within the mind of the founder or the initial partners, things start to fray apart at the edges uh, because it can't just be done on the fly out of your own knowledge, out of your own ability to keep up with the details and follow a process. So what what becomes a really uh, a significant barrier and, and a really limiting factor early on is that a business, because of lack of systems and processes that are in place, uh, they start to fail to maintain their level of quality. They start to fall behind on things like doing estimates, uh, they start to to fail to keep up with their accounting and their bookkeeping, and they don't know what their cash flow is, and and they can randomly make a series of decisions that lead to problems down the road. Um, they they start to have um, you know a diminishing of confidence in some of their most key clients. It's like, wow, you used to do such a great job, and now I hardly ever hear back from you. And so, one of the most important things that we uh, bring to the table when we work with a, a new client that's growing and doing well, but facing these kinds of problems, uh, facing these kinds of problems is that we help them identify uh, systems and processes that are going to help them sort of shoulder the responsibility of an ever expanding business. So whether it's in, in accounting or whether it's in customer relationship management and marketing or project management, um, you know, we we have experience with all of these kinds of systems and how they integrate and work together uh, to really help them kind of move past that barrier so that they can offer, you know, the same level of quality, but on an expanded basis where responsibility is progressively being distributed onto other people's shoulders as they grow. So that that's one of the things we focus on. Yeah, I'll, um, I'll share some of, you know, Actually, literally conversations I had in the last seven days with multiple people. One of them is a contractor from Medicine, Wisconsin. That conversation just took place yesterday. And the, the one of the main issues, um, as John mentioned, early on, you know, if you're, you have some kind of a craft, you're a handyman of some sort in your trade, and you go out and you start doing work on your own, you'll do okay. You'll do fine. The jobs don't have to be, you know, overly profitable. You just need to know a few people and start to get the work going, and and you'll make a living. And and you know, I call those that's the category of a lifestyle business. You don't really have a business. It pays your bills. You take vacations when you want. You don't report to anyone. 
you're not liable for anyone, even not to your clients in that stage. Um, it's when the, the issue starts when you make a decision, you actually want to build a business and you're going into the stage and you're not planning it properly, right? So it's the unplanned growth. And that's, I think everything that John mentioned is planning your growth. Here's, here's the areas you got to develop. You currently have them, you know, and they're broken or they don't exist and we need to develop them from scratch. Um, certain tools that you don't use and you should start using. So planning, planning your growth is really important because growing in a construction field or anywhere is expensive, right? You, if you grow, let's say you're starting off and, you know, you got, you know, lifestyle businesses up to one to one and a half million dollars a year. Right? Once you break that ceiling, you start turning into a real business, right? So let's say you move from one million to two million. That's going to be very painful on you. If you if you used to do one million dollars a year, you do most of the chores yourself, and you're the salesperson, the accountant, the project manager, and then you hire some labor to help you execute. On a million dollars, you can probably take home two fifty, three hundred thousand dollars a year. Not bad, right? Get some tax deductions, get some you know, buy some equipment. You move from one million to two million, your take home will drop by probably fifty percent. Right? You have to hire, you have to expense, you got to finance the work that you're doing, and you're paying always before you're getting paid, constantly. Right. So if you don't predict that, and if you don't plan that, if you don't have your even down to you know the financial planning, you know getting a lot of credit, you know loans to support your equipment loans, things like that, it will be very painful financially. And that's assuming everything else was great. That's assuming you know. Now there's some jobs you cannot personally run yourself. They're not going to go as smooth as you used to run them. You're going to have some associated costs with that. You're going to have angry customers. You're going to have some bad reviews online, possibly. And, you know, that will get you overwhelmed. So if you're not planning this growth, if you're not planning the one to two, two to four, four to eight, you know, and so on and so on, it will be very painful. And that's where most businesses fail. They once they break the ceiling and they don't really break it, they actually get cut in their hands <laughs> and and they're they're stuck there. They they stuck in a in a business that's not functioning properly, they're already committed to it. Now they don't they don't do well financially. Uh, they're not they're not able to build uh, you know the, the proper systems. So as John mentioned, part of what we do with our experience, both hands-on and with our clients, and specifically with construction, because we have a lot of experience in that field is lay out in advance. Here's the challenges you're going to see. Here's the thing to watch out for. Here's the tools you should be you know, uh, uh, bringing in-house. Uh, here's the things you should not bring in-house and you should you know, farm out. Um, and here's some of the pain points you're going to experience going through this process. Right? And, if, and if, the, if the owner, the founder knows that up front, it makes the process more easier, manageable, and predictable. I'm, I'm kind of curious though. So, and, and I love, you know, what you just built there because that is how so often people do end up in business. I mean, you know, they, they go into doing the trade that they knew and that they were trained or they love or whatever. And yeah, that challenge of building the systems to create a business that goes beyond them um, is a huge challenge. And many people don't make it out of that. The thing that I find is sometimes interesting, though, is the person who likes doing the hands-on type of thing, 
but they still want to scale the business. I mean, what's your advice to them? I mean, because they don't want to give up the hands-on part of things, but yet they still want to grow. So what, what, what would your advice be to someone like that? Uh, I, I, here's my advice, partner. Gotcha. True, real partnership. Bring a partner that is good and what they do that is completely different than what you as a tradesman, a trade trade person, and, you know, that, you know, bring a, a financial partner or, you know, someone that has, has experience with entrepreneurship that does, doesn't even know the trades, but they know how to create traction. They know how to think, you know, like a business. They know how to communicate with the financial institutions. They know how to care for for uh, clients, for customers, partner, like true equity partnership, not strategic partnership. Right. That will get you, oh, it's always funner to do business. You know, you got people to celebrate with, right? You know, if, you, if you're the, own, the only partner and you just nailed a great, you know, a great deal, will you go cheer yourself, <laughs> right? So, you know, that's, that's one thing. You bring partners, you, you, you take the load off, and you can achieve so much more. But it's like marriage. So make sure you choose your partners really, really carefully. I love it, though. That's that's really good advice and very appropriate, I think, for the folks in that situation. And I'm when saying it, partnership just, just for a second, John. You know, obviously you can hire two, but it's typically expensive early on, right? Mm -hmm. You know, but there's obviously companies like Lanker, like us, but there's other companies like us that can help you too with some of those elements. It just, you know, that's a little bit more costly when you're, you know, when you're smaller. Um, so that's where I said, you know, partner is probably the cheapest early on and then bring the advisors, the mentors, people like us um, that can come and help you take it to the next level. You know, usually by the time we get involved, um, the, the founder has already gone through some hard difficulties, um, faced the challenges of sort of being in the mentality of, you know, I can do it all on my own. Or, you know, if there's some new, uh, we, we talked a little bit a few minutes ago about platforms and systems and frameworks. And, you know, there's, there's sort of this initial instinct that founders have, well, I can do it myself. I'll go read about how to build a website or how to, you know, put in a project management system and whatnot, and I've got the money and I can do it, uh, but I don't want to hire anybody else or get anybody else. You know, it's, it's sort of like, you know, saying I can look in the most expensive magazines about how to build a kitchen and have the most expensive appliances or whatever. Um, and, and once I have all those things, I've purchased them, not, I'm a world-class chef or something, right? It's like it, it takes so much to learn how to think about doing the job properly. How do you build a pipeline? How do you manage deal flow? How do you manage cash flow? I mean, th this is one of the most um, disabling things that happens to early stage businesses is that they will go and they will work really hard to fill their pipeline. And OK, now they have a lot of work. And they're so busy doing the work that they neglect their pipeline. And then finally they finish their big projects and they're like, oh, we have nothing to do next month. Nothing is scheduled. Well, it's because they don't have a system in place to manage their pipeline and to build a funnel that will bring in new leads. We'll categorize those leads in terms of, you know, deals that I can do right now or maybe in the next month or so or maybe somewhere, you know, in six months to a year. 
And because they can't manage and nurture all of those opportunities that come in, they get neglected and other people get hired. And, you know, but if you can put a system in place that can nurture those opportunities carefully over time and know what to do with each opportunity at each moment in the in the customer journey, then you're going to always have things happening and you can organize your growth in a very efficient way. Um, but when people say, well, I can get a, a customer relationship management system and I can send my own emails out and I can do all these things. You know, really, it's a recipe for disaster because they don't do the work. They they get too busy, they get too distracted, and then everything gets neglected. The the project management software gets out of date. Nobody's using it. Uh, the leads that came in and they spent money to get those leads, those get neglected, and and they don't end up closing those deals. Uh, customer satisfaction goes down because follow through isn't happening on projects because things aren't happening on time. So you know, I, I think one of the most um, important mental shifts to make before coming to a company like Linker is to say, you know what, I realize that I have my lane and I want to have either, you know, like Asaf was saying, bringing in a partner, share equity and, and share the opportunity, somebody who specializes in maybe running a business, or I'm, I'm ready to partner with a company like Linker to come in. And, and I know that the investment I make is going to lead to a lot of return on investment versus the earlier stage people who haven't made those mistakes and haven't suffered the pain yet, they have kind of a mentality of scarcity. I need to hold on to those dollars. I can't spend this. I need to I need to hold on to it, hold on to it versus kind of an abundance mentality of, you know, I can I can manage my growth by bringing in smart people to, you know, help me identify my lane, make sure that I'm as efficient and effective in that lane, and then making sure that the other aspects of the business are not falling apart whenever I don't have time to attend to them. So th these are the kinds of things we analyze. And, you know, we work with companies that are just starting out. You know, the company that Asaf and I were working on when it was just starting out, they were actually in the hole. And by the time Asaf left and we'd worked on it for 10 years, they were doing over 14, 15 million in revenue with maybe 2,000 leads a year. And um, 4,200 leads the year that I, that that I left 2019. Yeah. Okay. So that's wow. You know, even better. And you wouldn't believe the hours and hours that Asaf and I spent uh, going through that transformation and and noticing when the priorities need to shift because the game doesn't stay the same for very long. This, the, the, you're lucky if the game stays the same for six months because not only are you adapting to kind of the market situation as it changes in the economy and in this, that, and the other thing. But you're also needing to adapt to the changing conditions of your own business as they grow. And anybody who's been a father of like a three-year-old child and, you know, suddenly they're four-year-olds, five, when they get to be six years old, it's almost like something completely different, you know, in the invasion of the body snatchers. You know, what happened to this sweet little three-year-old and now I've got this six-year-old, you know, and but then they're a teenager. It, you know, these things, the business grows and develops. And if you have not prepared yourself to handle the thing that, that, that life is going to throw at you within the context of that size of a business, you know, you're, you're going to be kind of randomly trying to react to these things. And you know what, when you are doing things randomly and just reacting, there's a high probability you're going to make major mistakes. And sometimes those mistakes will destroy your entire business. 
And, you know, we, we work with businesses that are doing billions of dollars in revenue, not just startups. We, we have uh, uh, companies in the construction industry who are, you know, heavy equipment manufacturers, things like this, that are doing billions of dollars. And the same kinds of issues that the small entrepreneur is facing on kind of a small business level, these departments and major organizations, they're, they're almost like little mini companies. You know, there's there's a staff, there's, you know, maybe a dozen people or so that are all trying to grapple with similar things. And so really the same principles of of research and analysis, uh, making sure that you're you're understanding the conditions of the market, making sure that you're constantly evaluating your your service offerings to make sure they that they're a good fit with what is needed in the market right now constantly making adjustments and planning what am i going to be doing next quarter and next year those things need to be constantly happening and you know again we the reason we exist and the reason that uh, the construction industry is such a strong vertical market for us is because we we are dialed into that reality and we become kind of a safe harbor uh, for these businesses that are that are focused on really succeeding and don't want to leave anything to chance they want to think through and ensure that they have a solid game plan going forward and and that their ideas around growth are anchored in reality that they're not just this fantasy of someday I want to be this big of a company and have this many employees and whatever but it's it's anchored on real facts the physics of business the physics of business growth that those ideas are are firmly planted in their minds and, you know, again, that's that's why we exist is to make sure that we come around our clients at any stage of growth that they're existing within and assess what needs to happen now for the next segment of the journey and walk with them through that and make sure that they don't, you know, life's hard enough and business is hard enough to make sure that nothing, no unnecessary risks, no unnecessary inefficiency, not aiming the wrong direction. You know, you're not hurling the football down the field to a place where there's no receiver to receive it, right? We make sure that those kinds of things aren't happening. Wow, that's uh, you did a great job of painting that picture of this kind of disorganized growth versus organized growth, and I love that. So let's let's talk a little bit more, kind of about what exactly what you guys do at Lanker. Um, I think the terms marketing and branding really kind of only scratch the surface. Asaf, I believe it was you that mentioned in our initial discussion that a business really can't grow rapidly by addressing a single challenge or problem, but that there must be a higher level, kind of more holistic approach that looks at all parts and systems of a business to ensure there's alignment um, with branding and strategy. Can you guys both just kind of talk about your the philosophy and process that you've developed um, at Lanker and how you bring that to to working with your clients. I'll uh, I'll start with um, with saying that yes, absolutely. Most business owners and founders they try to find one problem and say, if I fix this, all of my problems are fixed. And experience tells us that it's never one thing. It's you got to look at it in a bigger view. You can look at the entire business, 360 degrees, and identify what doesn't work and where the opportunities are at. So the process that we developed, you know, historically, 
and even how we, you know, I hired John, you know, I hired him to do a job for me, not to think with me, right? I hired him to, um, back in 2012, to, you know, brand us and get us to market. And John historically does, you know, think on a deeper level, right? He, he, if we were to hire anyone else, we were, we would have got a brand and maybe a go-to-market strategy. But John likes to dive in, and at the time I didn't really understand it properly. And when I joined, when I joined Lanker, that's where, that's where we developed. You know, we're not gonna just respond to RFPs anymore. We're not gonna be hired to build someone's website. We're not gonna be hired to run someone's, you know, Google Ad account or or social media or, you know, to run some PR activities. We're going to be hired to analyze the business with our clients, get, get them to see their business in, in a view that never looked at before, because we get that a lot. And, and then from there, develop the plan, the strategy and the tactical plan of how to activate everything that we identified as an opportunity. Right? So that's, that's our approach, which is different than how you typically hire a marketing company. Hey, I need a new website. Because when we try to respond to those, they get a beautiful website, but they don't know what to do with it. Or they want you know, someone running a, running a campaign. Okay, what happened after they run a campaign? John talked about it earlier today. You know, managing, managing pipeline, it's, it's so crucial. It's so crucial. If you don't know what to do with the inbound leads, you know what you'll say? I have crappy leads, get me better leads. No, you don't have crappy leads, you don't know what to do with them, right? You give up too soon, you don't know how to convert them to, to good leads, you don't know how to get referrals out of them, even if you can't help them. And if you develop it, and if that's as identified as an opportunity, you know how to, you, you develop tools that help you take those crappy leads and turn into very, very profitable leads. And, you know, one of our clients, the roofing company, they'll take, hey, I got a shingle, need to get nailed in. And, you know, nine out of 10 contractors give up on it. Guess what? Storm hit somewhere in the last three years. That $75 job or, you know, $300 job turns into $35,000 roof replacement. Sometimes mm. siding, sometimes windows, soft metals. You know metals, right? They get damaged with two-inch hail. Sometimes the homeowner doesn't even know. Like I don't know, there was some, there's some dings on it, right? So you know, learning how to convert those opportunities and not just give up, because you pay a lot of money for those leads. You know, know knowing how to manage that pipeline and utilize that pipeline over time. Understand that even if there's nothing you can help that person now, and again, if we're staying in the roofing industry. In, and you live in the Midwest or you know Central the U.S. You're gonna have tornadoes. You're gonna have hail, right? At some point, they're gonna get damage guaranteed. Maybe a year from now, maybe five years from now, they go in your CRM. There's a storm hitting their area. Three years from now, they're a lead, and there that's a roof replacement. That's a lead that you would have paid five hundred dollars to get, and you got for free because they're in your CRM. So that's money. Knowing that every person that calls you and gives you their email address, that's his money. Even if there's nothing you can do for them now, 
be nice, be polite, be helpful, be resourceful, and keep their information and know how to follow up with them, they will turn into money. Do you suggest for folks like that um, that you do some sort of ongoing, you know, tickler campaign, e-newsletter on a monthly basis? I mean, something to stay in front of them as well so you continue to build that, uh, that brand recognition, that implied integrity and everything? 100%. And the average, the average contractor sends once a month and once a quarter, hey, buy my windows, hey, buy mm-hmm. my roof, buy my <laughs> roof. Ready to buy a roof? Well, nobody's ready to buy a roof. <laughs> so, we, so our advice is to be, again, be resourceful. Give them tips, give them DIYs, give them things they can do themselves so they want to consume your, your content. Because if they're going to consume your content, they're going to consume your brand. If they hear of someone that needs help, they may refer you. You know, once in a while you throw some, you know, good call to actions about referrals, about specials, about storms that happen. Um, you know, in, in that case, you know, other, you know, concrete contractors, again, we've, in the concrete world, we've done, you know, backyard ideas, you know, DIY maintenance ideas, things like that. Just anything around that, that is close enough, that is a cousin of the trade you're doing to keep relationship with them. And then, you know, that's how you get them to not tune you off, right? But most of the emails you get are buy now, buy now, buy now. Nobody's going to buy now because you wave a roof in front of them or a kitchen in front of them. But if you give them content they enjoy, then yes, they will, uh, they will come back to you when they're ready. And this is really where having a balanced approach to solving a problem is really important. Um, and that it takes sometimes multiple people with multiple skill sets to come together to be effective at what Asaf was just speaking about. Because just having a system in place, oh, just send a newsletter, oh, just send to this, oh, send to that. If, if you have no understanding of the psychology of a buyer, or if you don't understand that when people are going online, they're not, they're not, they're not looking to be sold. They're looking to uh, explore and learn and understand. If you don't understand anything about how people learn, how can you educate them about your value proposition and why you're uh, the vendor that should be chosen? You're the contractor amongst all the available possibilities that they want to call when that hailstorm comes or when they want to you know, to replace their ugly driveway with decorative concrete or when they want to do that kitchen remodel. What is it that you have done? And and really, it, it you know, having somebody on the team that understands human nature, human factors, the psychology of building a relationship. Why do people like you or dislike you? What are the dynamics around that? Because if you know what makes people like you, you can have your systems and your your campaigns closely parallel the human to human uh, dynamics that we have that we all kind of know by instinct you know when you walk into a room at a party or some gathering you know some people are very attractive to others and and engage with others very well and people want to approach them and speak with them and you know uh, let's be friends. Let's get together for coffee sometime. I really liked you. Others are like, oh my gosh, that person came up to me and they were bothering me. I couldn't wait for them to leave. You know, what, what makes that difference in impression? And, you know, one of the things that, that we haven't talked a lot about uh, so far in this podcast, 
But but why is brand important to a contractor? One of the things that we we find often is the case is that people in the construction industry they like yeah you know I know branding is important I have to have a nice logo whatever you know we you know I came up with the tagline myself you know they they think it's just about kind of this image um, that that is you know graphic and and you know you know brings to mind thoughts of a certain kind of tone or something like that but in reality a, a brand is so fundamental. Uh, to a business and and having a strong brand is so essential for success because really what a brand is it's what people believe about you it's it's the impression that is formed in the in the minds of the people in the market about why you have any value and what value you can bring to them and really a brand is a story that that people have been told that they've grabbed onto for good or for bad and 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 you become known for certain things. You're the guy who always follows through on his commitments. I heard my neighbor had you, you know, replace the the concrete, you know, on on uh, on on their their driveway. And I heard that the person who was on site uh, found a problem that you know if they hadn't fixed that, it would have led to water damage in my house. But they didn't even charge me. They they spent a half an hour on it, and because of what they did, uh, that driveway is going to last a lot longer. I heard about that, and I want to have the concrete contractor who is who is thoughtful and who is intuitive and who cares about me. And, 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 and not just after the, the, the driveway looks nice and they've paid me and they're gone, but they're, they're thinking about what happens to me as a customer after they're gone. I want the company with that storyline to be the one that I hire, right? That's branding. It's reputation. It's, it's what people believe about you. And when we, uh, go into a market and we're helping a client, you know, we don't work with any of their competitors, no matter how much money is offered to us, right? When we're going in there to help you become the undeniable solution in your market and the brand that your audience has no trust and love, I mean, that's that's one of our slogans, right? We're, we're doing that so that you are head and shoulders above the competition in terms of the way your brand projects itself, in terms of the way you follow through to strengthen your reputation through every opportunity so that you get those five-star Google reviews. And when you don't, you're on it and you, and you fix it and you, and you make it right because you understand that no matter how much it costs you to make something right, it's a drop in the bucket compared to the goodwill that's built when people see that you really stand behind your work. So... Uh, branding and reputation and the impression that is formed, it is so fundamental to your success. It, it's it's truly tragic that most, and I would say most because it really does seem like most people in, in the construction industry, they, they really uh, kind of minimize and diminish the importance of spending time on branding and on your messaging and on creating this storyline that makes people believe that you are the preferred vendor. You're the preferred contractor. Um, if it sounds like I'm passionate about it, I am because I know that it can make all the difference in the world between success and failure for so many of these businesses that are out there. What? So I'm a brand. I love branding too. I don't know that I'm as passionate about it as you are. And But I love the way you, you talk about it. 
I think a topic on a lot of contractors' minds is the labor shortage. What do you think branding, what ability is there for branding as far as telling the, the, a company's story and attracting good installers or employees? Is, is there a, See, I can't think of how I want to word this, but I think I think you know what I'm asking. Is is there an opportunity there for branding to help solve this labor shortage issue? Well, there's there's a really important insight in your question, and it's something that a lot of people don't think very carefully about, and that's that you have different audiences that you're trying to influence, and so branding isn't just about you know new customers and new business. Um, branding is also about you know, in a tight labor market where really a lot of the, the labor force can pick and choose who they work for, why would they want to work for you? And the reason they want to work for you is because, you know, I've heard you're the company where you care about your employees and you nurture them and you're not just trying to, you know, protect your margins at all costs and, and keep, you know, all the, the profitability for yourself, but you've got a profit sharing plan and, and, um, you know, the, the foreman and, and the, the journeyman and the people who have skills, you've created a culture in your business where they're not just trying to hold on to that knowledge for themselves because you're afraid that, you know, if, if they share and nurture somebody else's knowledge, that, that maybe they'll lose some of their own credibility. No, you're the business that people advance because they nurture others, because they do knowledge transfer, because they take people who are younger under their wing and make sure that they develop the experience necessary to deliver a consistent, solidly superior work product for customers across the board. That's branding. Also, you know what else is branding? What, it, what your banker thinks of you is branding. You know, how do you go and, and make an impression when you're trying to raise money or, or fund uh, some kind of expansion or to uh, uh, buy some new equipment? Why would they say yes to you? Is it just about having a solid financial plan? Sure, that's part of it, right? Because And we, we do that a lot. We work on business plans. We help people uh, get loans and we, we, we prepare everything so they go in there and they're in a very strong position. But more than that, there's the impression that the banker has of you. Can I believe that this is the kind of company that's going to be around uh, for the long run? Can I put, do, can I have confidence in this person? All of that is branding. So, um, I, I would say that, um, you know, there, there are many aspects of branding and, and you put your finger on one of the most important is valuing the people that work for you and having them not just hear those words come out of your mouth, but they have it reinforced at every turn. They see you investing. They see you being generous. They see you looking out for them. They see you standing in the way when, when there's trouble ahead. They, you know, they're not, they're, they're taking the brunt of it themselves and they're doing everything in their power to give you, you know, the most safe environment to work in. You know, these, these are the things that are going to make people, uh, flock to you. And, and it's, and that can become a super, super competitive advantage of you. If you're the one that everybody wants to work for, I mean, just think about how powerful that is. And, you know, I just want to take this moment to say that, you know, because we do work exclusively with only one company who competes in a, in a geographical area, we try to be very careful in 
in working with a company that truly is determined to be the market leader. And, and maybe it doesn't happen overnight. You know, maybe they're you know twenty million dollars behind in annual revenue. You know, the the market leader, but in five years, that's where they want to be. We've got a client right now that is on their way there to to supplant the current um, you know market leader who's been there for years and decades to supplant them in their particular industry. And it's because of the mentality and mindset of the founders. They're determined to win. They will make the necessary changes. They will do whatever it takes. They're going to listen. And those are the ones that grow. The ones who think they already have all the answers, they don't need anybody's advice. And you know those, those people eventually are going to not have a business. And the day they hurt themselves, the day they break an arm or hurt their back and they can't be out there running around on all those job sites, the entire thing collapses and they lose their entire investment. And that's it. It's kaput for them. I'm going to jump in quickly and clarify market leader. Market leader is not necessarily the biggest, especially not in construction. There's many companies that do hundreds of millions of dollars and break even at the end of the year, right? I think I think that being the market leader is being the innovator, be the one that employees want to work for and be the ones that customers want to hire. And you may not be able to put them on the schedule, you know, as soon as they would like to be on a schedule because you, you're only that big, um, but they will choose you and they'll stand in line just like people stood in line for, you know, Apple products for many years, not knowing if they're even going to get one at the end. Right. And I think that's the being the market leader is being the, you know, being innovator, versatile, flexible, know how to change and move with the market and adapt to it, adapt to it in one hand and lead it in the other end, right? So pull it a little bit to where you want the market to go and adapt to it because some things out of your control, right? That's, that's engineering for you. <laughs> and, and, uh, and be a place that people want to work. I mean, those are your best ambassadors, right? And, it, and it's all comes as part of your brand. If your brand is around innovation, if your brand is around, you know, we care for our, this is a family, but not just saying it, but but acting it, actually doing it. You'll see, we saw when when I was in, in, in the concrete shop and John was, uh, uh, you know, Lanker was a, a, a vendor for us. It's a finding, finding finishers. It's, it's difficult. And being a non-signatory shop, being a non-union shop, and we don't have the benefits that the union offers, it was hard to attract talent. And it took a few years. And, you know, when, when, I, when I joined, we had, I think it was 17 people total, so 10 field guys. And when I left, it was 100 field guys. And it was always, you know, the this, this saying in the office, it's hard to get help. Help was how we referred to, um, to uh, labor, right? It's hard to get help. How's it? Yeah, it's hard, but yet we move from from ten to a hundred field guys, in uh, and some gals too, in in a form of seven years, in a tight, very very tight labor market, right? Very very tight labor market. So a lot of it was, as you see, with time goes, is you see a lot of union people because they're all friends of each other, and you see the union guys coming to work for us, and they give up all the great benefits that the union has to offer. And we had some benefits too. We had medical, we had even 401k matching, no profit sharing, um, a little bit of bonuses here and there. But the culture was that we care, we listen, we knew them 
in, in first name basis. We showed up on the job sites. We showed that we care about them, about the client, and not just about the profit. But it's important to care about the profit. But I think that the profit ends up being there when you do everything above it right. It's the, that's why I call it the bottom line. You can't make the bottom line from the top, right? So everything has to be right, including everything we talked about and way more for you to get that bottom line. It's a result of everything above it. It's a result of everything above it. That's how we view it. Do either of you have any thoughts about AI specifically, I guess, but any new technology that's kind of on the horizon and how it will influence marketing um, over over the coming years? No, zero thoughts. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> My mind is blank. Well, it, it's, it's like anything else. I mean, <clears throat> anytime there's a new tool, that gets introduced into the, there's actually a, a technical term in economics um, and especially in manufacturing, uh, this, this term is called input substitution. Okay. So think of any kind of process where something's being produced. If there is a new innovation that can replace a component of that process and make it more effective and efficient and reduce cost, if a competitor doesn't adopt that new component within a very short period of time, they will cease to be competitive and they will lose market share. Okay. So you have to uh, substitute that input into the system, that new thing to ensure that you stay competitive. So in the case of AI, a lot of people are worried, well, you know, um, this is going to, uh, you know, reduce the number of people that can, it can get jobs, you know, um, people are going to lose their jobs because AI is going to take over. And you know what? That's probably true in a certain sense. But I think primarily that's going to happen to people who bury their head in the sand and aren't willing to adopt the new technology and substitute this new input. In our case, in our consulting practice, for example, we use we are completely committed to AI, meaning that we are going to... Um, be very closely monitoring the development of AI, that we're going to be completely familiar with every aspect of our business that AI influences. And we actually have a weekly um, AI uh, team meeting where we discuss the latest things and cross-pollinate ideas. But, but really what we tell our people is this isn't here to replace anybody's job. This is here to take your ability to produce and multiply it by, by eliminating uh, things that that are not important for you to be doing anymore so that you have more time to be doing the things that only a human being can do. And so uh, th this is something that we're leaning into. It's something we're embracing. Um, but it's, it's actually helping the thing that makes us human uh, more powerful. And, and it, it, it leaves more room in our schedule to do the things that are uniquely human. So it becomes a, a kind of a wonderful thing for us. And, and we're super excited about it. Um, but, you know, again, it, it's not something that any one of us can on their own completely assess. I mean, we're a little bit like a think tank in our company. And so we're, we're doing a lot of this work and, and, and there, it requires a lot of experimentation and refinement and, you know, uh, getting better and better and better so that when clients come to us, we can help them, uh, you know, really capitalize on this kind of technology to be efficient and to be more effective 
And uh, so we were really um, advocates of the idea of um, understanding the strengths of AI and incorporate them into your business in a way that can, um, be, you know, make you more effective and efficient. Um, and and to really not give into fear mongering that this is going to eliminate jobs, but but lean in and be be one of the people, be one of the companies that can leverage it so they stay relevant. And this is what I would encourage everybody listening to do: is lean into it, look at it as your friend and find out how you can use it to complement the work you're doing so that you become even more productive. Yeah. And, you know, I'll take it back to when farmers started to use animals for farming. It didn't replace the farmer. It just evolved the work and gave them more output. And later those animals turned into heavy machinery. You know, it didn't replace the farmers. Farmers still exist today, right? And they were here 2,000 years ago and probably further further backwards than that. Um, it's an AI is, is like that machinery for the farmer, right? Steve Jobs used to say, bicycle for your mind, right? Uh, about the Mac. It's, it's, it's a tool that will allow you to do more and probably better in areas that you that you have weaknesses compared to a machine, but it's not going to replace you unless you ignore it, right? So you can't ignore it. You need to adopt it. We made a decision at Lenker that we're adopting it and offering it to clients, right? And there's some phenomenal tools that clients in the construction industry can use from, from chatbots um, to you know, video production, those are things we're playing with right now for some of our clients. Um, it's, it's, it, it's phenomenal. It's not going anywhere. doesn't matter what happened. Even if it's destructive, it's not going to go anywhere. We, we're past that point. So <laughs> our best chance is to adopt it. And, and then, uh, you know, I always say hope is not a strategy, but hoping it's not going to destroy us because if it's going to, it's, we're already past that point. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's a phenomenal tool. Uh, it offer it, it extends us in our ability. So whatever we can do yesterday with AI, we can do more tomorrow. And the AI made us say that before we came onto the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's taking Knew over it. already. Know it. Well, guys, uh, we're getting close to kind of wrapping up the end of our our scheduled time here today. This has really been great and very insightful. Um, before we kind of close out here, is there anything that we haven't been able to cover yet that you'd like to share with our audience? Well, I would just say, you know, you know, it's, it's one thing to have confidence and believe in yourself. Um, and that can be a double-edged sword. Believing in yourself can lead you into, you know, climbing that mountain and conquering it. Right. Um, but relying too much on yourself can also cause you to not listen to sound advice, to not um, be cautious based on the input of other people. Um, so it's it's really important to, you know, kind of go back and forth in your own mind as you're weighing, uh, you know, charting your course and, you know, to, to make sure that you're open to ideas, that you can process those ideas and, and make rational decisions um, but that you don't stubbornly cling to whatever all of your original thinking was when you started your business. Um, that, that usually leads to things 
uh, collapsing and, and shrinking and being limited. It's, it's, it's scarcity thinking, like I said before, rather to be open to possibilities and, and to be optimistic and, and to be able to recognize when you're getting good advice and when you're, um, when you're seeing things in a way that maximizes your probability of, of success, uh, to, to lean into those things and to, to not be afraid. And I really think it's possible for almost anyone who's got decent skills in a, in a, in a, uh, a rational mindset to uh, elevate themselves and, and to really climb. Um, and, and our job is, you know, to work with the people that come to us who are seeking that outcome and to come alongside them and, and give us, you know, give them our, our best possible advice and help them with services that are, that are tailored to their unique situation and needs in any given moment. And, and to make sure that they're, they're just doing the smartest possible things at every stage of their development. Uh, that's what we do. And that's, that's our hope and intention for um, anybody listening to this podcast that, you know, um, you can, you know, put one foot in front of the other in, in the uh, best way possible. And um, if we can help you with that, we, we'd love to uh, speak with you if you get in contact with us. And I'll, I'll add to that again, focusing on things that we haven't covered is when you're in business, keep an open mind and don't get stuck into the trap of that's how, how that's how I've been doing it for the last 20 years. So that's why I'm going to do it tomorrow. It's it's okay. Continue to do the things that work for you, but don't fall in the trap that this is how you must run your business tomorrow. We, we did mention a little bit of flexibility. So, and then we talked about AI, right? And and if you don't going to adopt it, something you know not great will happen to you in the next few years. You may become obsolete. So, don't get don't fall into the trap of if I if it worked for me for twenty years, it will work for me for the next twenty years. It, it will not. You know, if it worked for you for twenty years and you haven't changed anything, you're a little lucky. And you know, do make some changes today, so you can adapt for the current market. Great advice. Well, before we close out, um, there's something fun that we like to do here on construct construction disruption, and that is a rapid fire question round where we throw out some kind of silly questions. Some of them can be serious, but uh, your only commitment is to kind of give us a quick short answer and response. Um, and you have no idea what questions we have picked out for you. Are you guys both up to going through the rapid fire questions? Yeah, I'll give it a shot. Sure. To, um, Todd and I will alternate. Um, would you like to start with the first question, Todd? Absolutely. So we're going to ask them each to answer each question, I would assume. I think that'll be interesting. Yeah, I think they can both oh. answer them. Okay, here's question number one. Would you rather be fluent in 10 languages or be able to talk to animals? Fluent in 10 languages. Fluent in 10 languages. <laughs> That's where I am. Tough too. one, isn't it? <laughs> if you could I, travel. Sorry, Todd, were you going to say I something? I don't want to know what my animals are thinking. And, <laughs> and my parrot in particular he was probably telling me not to feed him so much. And Yeah. I don't, anyway. Well, part of the reason is I want to I want to believe that my my dog who I, I love thinks only the best thoughts about me. And if I could understand the language, I might, that <laughs> image might be shattered. <laughs> my, my main reason is my daughter is three and a half years old and she's speaking three languages. So I That's need awesome. to catch up on the languages here. Oh, wow. That's, awesome. That's impressive. 
Okay, if you could travel back in time, what period of time would you go to? I've got the um, the emotional serious one as a Jewish person, but I don't know if I can say it on air here. Let's keep it light. Let's keep it light. (laughs) Let's keep it light. Um, John, you go. Uh, This is, you know, probably the thought a lot of people my age have is if I could go back and speak to myself when I was, I think, 10 years old and help myself understand um, what my priorities should be at different stages of life and and really be convincing, uh, I think. I think that would be the best thing I could do for myself. <laughs> Hopefully I wouldn't have had to learn so many hard lessons. I like it. I would, um, well, I can't come with anything light here, but I, you know, my dad passed away when I was younger and I would probably go back and experience some of those moments a little bit better because mm-hmm. you know, I don't have a lot of memories of my dad. It's tough. Okay, question, is it my question? Yeah, it is. Yes. Question number three, would you rather go skydiving or bungee jumping? So you you got to basically fall from a high height. How would you rather do it? Skydiving. See, skydiving yeah. is a metaphor we use sometimes in our business. We did oh, a video okay. once about it. Oh, nice. Cool. cool. Nice. And I think if something bad happens, you're for sure going to go really quick versus bungee jumping, you may... You may bounce a little bit. <laughs> that's a good. That's a good point. Could be a little more painful. Mm-hmm. Oh, that hurt the first. Oh, it hurt the second time too. <laughs> uh, next question: If there's a spider in your house, do you kill it or set it free? Depends on the situation. I've done is, both. Is vacuum considered setting it free or killing it? <laughs> I don't know. Good answer. You're setting it free into its future either way, huh? Yeah, yeah. There were, not not long, I think it was last year, the year before, I found a, a snake uh, in the yard and um, I brought it to a park about a mile and a half away and let it go there. Oh, good for you. <laughs> not a fan of spiders or snakes. <laughs> they don't survive in my house, I'll say that. Okay, next question. How would you rate your karaoke skills on a scale of one to Mariah Carey? And if you want to demonstrate, we're cool with that. Mariah Carey has nothing on me. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) I'll go as close as possible to one. One. (laughs) I'm I'm with you. You guys are opposite ends of the scale. If you had to eat a crayon, what color would you choose and why? There's no way I'm eating a crayon. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I have to ask, what's a crayon? Uh, a color. To color. To color like, uh, what your daughter uses to color pictures. Draw okay. pictures with colored Made wax out of wax. Sticks. Oh, red. Uh, stuff's from Israel. You, you know. yeah, I'm from, yeah, I'm from Israel. So, I, you know, it's a brand I, I, don't, I don't know as a nickname. Uh, red, for sure. Red. red Why? Yeah. It's a powerful color. And if something is going to come out of me, it's going to better be red. it'll get get my mouth dirty with red and i'll look like you know people be intimidated so (laughs) (laughs) i hope i hope none of this actually makes it to the show 
<laughs> oh, it's all in there. Believe me. Um, final question, a little more serious, um, Meryl Sears. What would you most like to be remembered for? Inspiring people to live deeper, more meaningful lives and elevating themselves to their highest potential. Cool. My good father. Ah, love that one too. Good deal. Both great answers. Well, uh, we need to recap our challenge words. We were all successful actually getting them in pretty quickly. Todd, your Did challenge the word. Is? Yes. To, yeah, several notice. times, twice. At least twice. Asaf, your word was? Itching. Itching. John, your word was? Wanderlust. Loved the way you worked it in. That's yes. good. Todd, your word was? My word, I, I worked it in before you even mm -hmm. announced challenge. Do I get extra credit for that? I'm probably not. Hippopotamus. Hippopotamus. Well done. And my word was reverberate. Usually I, I wait till the last minute to get mine in, but I got it in there pretty quick. Talking about the challenge words. <laughs> yes. Yes. When there's an opportunity, you have to pounce on it. You can't yes. wait. Hey, there's there's something to that. Well, John and Asaf, this has been a real pleasure. Um, for folks that want to get in touch with you or learn more about what you do at Lanker, how can they most easily do that? Well, the easiest way, if you want to follow up on the show, is go to lanker.com. That's L-E-N as in Nancy, K as in King, E as in Edward, R as in Robert, lanker.com slash CD for uh, the name of this podcast. Awesome. And are you both on LinkedIn? We are. And and there are links, I think, in our on our website to our LinkedIn profiles as well. So wonderful. And for me, just my name, Asafari, and uh, you'll be able to find me at John John Lenker. Be able to find him on LinkedIn and connect there. We'll be happy to connect. Perfect. Perfect. We will leave links to all that in the show notes. Well, thank you so much, both of you again, and uh, thanks to our listeners for tuning into this episode of Construction Disruption with John Lanker and Asaf Ari of Lanker. Please watch for future episodes of our podcast. We are always blessed with great guests. Don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or YouTube. Until the next time we're together, keep on disrupting and challenging designers, builders, and remodelers to better ways of doing things. Don't forget to have a positive impact on everyone you encounter. Make them smile and encourage them. Two simple yet powerful things we can do to change the world. God bless and take care. This is Isaiah Industries signing off until the next episode of Construction Disruption. This podcast is produced by Isaiah Industries, manufacturer of specialty metal roofing and other building products.